0: This podcast is produced by EnergeticCity.ca, your only local and independent news in Northeast B.C. To support local news and this podcast, go to
1: EnergeticCity.ca slash join to find out more.
2: Welcome to Before the Peace. I am Jenna Moreland, and I'm here with producer and co-host Trey Lopashinsky. The songs you hear throughout this episode were written and performed by our very first guest, Gary Oker. We'd like to recognize that we are recording this episode on traditional Denéza
1: land. In this episode, we delve into intergenerational trauma caused by residential schools. The guest we have this month has wished to remain anonymous due to the fact that the stories he te- he's telling are from family members of his and his perspective growing up with them in his life. Uh, in this episode, you will notice there's some long pauses from our guest, and I kept them in there to just kind of take you on this journey of what he's kind of going through and his thought process during this. It's a very emotional episode. I'm just letting you know that. It is.
2: It is. It was, it was hard opening up these wounds and, um, I was tearing up most of the time. Um, but it's also necessary, I think for everybody
1: to listen to this. And that's why we're doing this podcast, and it wouldn't be possible without Troyer Ventures. Troyer has been serving our community and the energy industry with tank and vac trucks since 2000.
2: And they're built on principles of hard work, service, and community, and they're proud to offer the financial support to make this program possible. So thank you to everybody at Troyer Ventures. Let's get right into the episode. Thank you for listening. We wanted to have you on after hearing about your family's past with residential schools. So we're going to start right there. Uh, Which residential schools did your mom and auntie end up in? I'm
0: not going to say.
2: Okay. Uh, That's okay. Are they alive today?
0: Yes, they are, yep.
2: And you were raised by your mother?
0: No. No, I was raised by my grandma.
2: Okay. And what was that like?
0: Well, you know, I was thinking about that on the drive in. The other thing I was thinking about was, was um, my grandma was a loving woman, so I was spared the anger that my mom shared, didn't I? The love that she couldn't express because of what she learned in residential school. I was spared that because I was raised by a woman who, who loved me unconditionally. So my brothers and sisters weren't Spared that And uh, I asked my I recently asked my older brother And uh, Did mom ever hug you And his answer was no He was asked uh, He went to a conference And he was asked He was told That your Your parents raised you in the best way you knew how and my brother's answer to that was, he stood up and said, no, I don't believe that. But, you know, he's come to grow and understand that mom didn't have the tools, you know. She didn't learn the the loving way her mom had, because that was all stripped away when she went to residential school, and she was abused, and... So she didn't learn how to show love properly to her own children. She just grew up and and uh, was very angry at the world, and she raised her children in that atmosphere. And And uh, so my brothers and sisters never got to experience what I did growing up, you know, because I felt loved growing up. And, uh, you know, to this day, my, my mom has learned, you know, when you're abused in residential school and you're, you're, uh, your ability to be a proper human is stripped away because you're not, you're not taught. How to love your children? Your, you know you you're abused, so you carry that with you. And, and my mom is in her uh, early seventies, and she's still angry, still frustrated with life. You know, because she's never been able to deal with those issues, and that still holds her back to this day. And she she understands that because she started, uh, she went down south to. Uh, Residential school survivor type, how to deal with the issues. Because she went to resident school, and she went down there. And and she was there for two weeks, and she came back, and bless her soul, she had all the tools. She understood what she needed to do. She was. She talked about how she needs to deal with these issues and put them behind her so she can function normally. But that didn't last very long. It only lasted... You know, on the month and then it just faded away and then she just slipped back to where where she was before.
2: And when did she go? Like how old was she? To residential school? No, when she went to this where they taught her how to I'm gonna say about
0: fifteen years ago.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay.
0: About the time that I don't know when this tea, you know, all the residential school stuff started, but somewhere down there my my mom went to Cornell to go to a survivor thing Okay. to help her out. But they gave her the right tools, you know, because she came back all excited, you know, expressing how she needed to forgive and forget and put it behind her, but it didn't go nowhere.
2: Well, trauma, like, can actually change the child's brain development, um, even, like, the levels of cortisol, dopamine, serotonin. It, like, it can definitely affect the future ability to process stressful situations and that like, do you think that was obviously a big part of it, right? Just having that trauma and not understanding how to deal with the situations.
0: Yeah. Yeah. When you grow up and uh, I think what I read the average age is 32 when people look deep they look inside and they okay I, I'm they don't understand why the type of people they are today until they get older and they look they're able to look back and uh, one of the things I share with a lot of people and I've read in the past is that your children's ability to be adults they learn between ages of three and eight 75 or 80% of how they're going to be as adults are learned in that 4 or 5 year span of their life and um, so if you grow up mistreated and angry and beaten you're not allowed you're not able to express love properly as an adult and uh, it's it's so difficult like to put it all in when you're older. Because when you get to that point and you realize that I'm the type of person because of the past, of what happened to me in the past, that's when you're at a paradox in your life. You either decide, I'm going to stay messed up, or I'm going to change. I'm not going to allow the past to control my future anymore. And then you look inside and you start dealing with the hurts and the pains and, and the anger and, you know, I had no clue as a young man when I married my wife, I had no clue how to be a husband. I had no clue how to be a father because nothing, none of that was taught to me properly so when I, I married my wife and uh, I read so many books because I wanted to be different. I wanted I didn't want to be the same person my dad was and uh, I wanted to treat my children differently so... I read so many books. I, you know, I would read a book and maybe glean one chapter, two chapter from that book, and try to bring it into my life. And then I'd read another book and read another book. Like I read boxes of books because I wanted to be a better person. And uh, when I learned, I I met a beautiful woman, and uh, we both. Wanted to uh, raise our children in a in a good home, and we both we both knew that um, we needed help. We couldn't live the life we grew up with, and we we wanted to raise our children in in good homes. So we did what we could, and uh, we both left our families and formed our family. And my wife and I, we both became adults together. We both helped each other through the pain that we were in, dealing with the emotions, learning how to be a dad. Now one thing I, I share, like, because if you grew up in a home where your mom and dad read to you, it's going to come natural for you to read to your children. But when you grow up in a home where nobody read to you, and, and uh, when I first... I share this story a lot, so I'm not going to share who I am out here, but you, you'll probably read this story or hear about it because I talk about this a lot. When my daughter was three... And I knew in my heart that I should start reading to my children, but no one had ever done it to me, and 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 I just knew I needed to do it. I needed to read to my children, and uh, I I would literally force myself off off the couch. You know, after work, lay, lay on the couch. There, I'd force myself up, and it was like I was lifting weights off my feet. Each step just seemed heavy as I walked to the bedroom to read to my daughter and and it was difficult to read to my own child because it wasn't natural and um, but I needed to break that that cycle so that they could raise their children differently and, and if I didn't set the example they were just going to be as messed up as I was inside so I read to my child, and I read to the other children. But it took probably six months before it became natural, you know, to to read to my own kids. It just now, I wanted to, but it didn't. It wasn't like that right away. It was a struggle to to break that cycle because we're so we can hold on to things forever, or we can deal with them and move on with our lives, and. Uh, but we all, uh, I like to think that uh, I did right by my kids. I know they're, they're, uh, they're both, they're all responsible adults, so.
2: So when did you first hear, hear the term intergenerational trauma? Do you remember?
0: More well, I that way before, the, like early, tw- late, mid-twenties. Okay. And when I started, I was being taught that you need to deal with the emotions of what happened in the past in order for you to to truly understand who you are. And uh, that was back then I started dealing with emotions. And and, uh, just... You know, I was 32. I knew I should forgive my mom when I was 22. But I couldn't do it. I just... I held on to it for so long. I knew that I needed to do it. Go to my mom and dad and say, uh, you know, forgive me for hating you. And I held on to that for 10 years. I knew I needed to do it when I was 22 years old to to, to help myself grow. But I couldn't. I just couldn't let it go. And... <laughs> You know, I I used to call my mom and dad the sperm donor and egg donor because that's all they did for me. They didn't raise me, so that's was my term I used. And uh, but after I forgave, I went to my mom and dad and asked them to forgive me. Whether they accepted or not was not on me. It was on them. It was time for me to move on. I did my part, but. I've learned to love my mom and dad, you know, I, in the end, you know, I I'd lear- I'd learned to love them and that t- took a lot and I forgave them, I asked them to forgive me, I put it behind me and I learned to love my parents, but that's just one of the steps that I had
1: to take. It and seems like you're, sorry for interrupting, it seems like you're very self-aware very like cognizant of like your surroundings and what's going on and like in yourself. Um, Before we started recording, you're kind of talking about uh, other people in your life who weren't so lucky because, you know, trying to unpack what you talked to, you even said like 32 is the mark where, you know, most people kind of find who they are. It seems like you found who you were, but you kept growing but there's some people out there that aren't doing that even in the later stages of their life. If you just kind of want to talk about some of the, you know, other people in your life as well and, yes. and what they went through. You know, I, um,
0: I met with this one lady at the uh, restaurant in town and she's telling her story and she was whispering it. Like, she was afraid that the person beside her would hear her and, and, and she's in her 70s and she was afraid, like, It was almost like she was afraid they were going to scoop her away and take her to residence school where they took her brothers and sisters. So she was whispering it across the table to me. She said there was seven of them, brothers and sisters, and their mom and dad said they're going to come. But when they come, I want you kids to be ready. When we say run and hide, go find the best hiding place that you can when they get here. So they showed up see a lot of times when you hear the stories they don't talk about they don't say it was a Catholic priest and the cops came, they just say they you know, that's how they turned them when they came mom and dad said run and hide so all seven children went run and hid they caught, They found five of them and then they threw them in the back of the truck where they herded us like cattle our ancestors they threw the five in there and the they were arguing with her mom and dad, and she could, and she, this lady could hear them screaming at her mom and dad, and where's the other ones? And they, they said, all we have is five. They said, no, we know you have more. Where are they? And her mom and dad are screaming back, no, no, we only have five. You got all our children. And and her mom and dad are screaming, and, and in the end, they, they drove away. So the two never made made it to residence school. But she did hear them tell their mom and dad, these five will come back in the future sometime, you know. But none of them ever made it back. They might have been part of the 215, I don't know, because that's where they got sent down south. So none of those five children made it back. And the two, you know, she said she's just never seen them again. That's That was her story, and she was whispering it because she didn't want no one else to hear. And um, so she grew up without her brothers and sisters because she never saw them again. So the reason I share some of these stories is because there's a lot of people out there who ignorant of what happened in the past, and, and, and you hear, oh, just get over it. These people should just get over it. Then I want to share the stories, and I start opening up, and I start telling them stories of the abuse, and and it helps to open people's eyes. You know, I, I have a friend I was I was talking about a couple earlier, a brother and a sister who never opened up till their eighties, till the two fifteen were discovered about what happened in residential school, and um, one of the men or the One of the guys was, when the 215 were discovered, he finally was able to at least start talking about what happened in residential school and uh, the anger, the guilt that came with that in residential school where he was the. The priests impregnated a lot of Indian girls and they had babies and uh, this man they forced them to, to grab these brand new babies and throw them in the incinerator and so it, so he became an alcoholic, he held it all inside, he couldn't talk about it, he felt. So ashamed of being, being asked to participate, to do that, or forced to do it. And and her his sister was abused in residence school, but she dealt with it differently. She held it all, and she became the anchor of the family. Or he became an alcoholic... And he would just run and go drink for a while. And his, her door was always open for him to come back and feel loved. She was always there for him. She was the anchor. She didn't. And it wasn't until recently she was able to start talking about what happened there too. And and she kept it hidden. And But she was always the anchor. She, she showed her daughter unconditional love. And her daughter is a beautiful person. You know, she was able to hold it in and just keep it there. And you see um, the abuse of the trauma of residential school. When you look around, you actually look around, you know, where, where I grew up, um, 80%. I don't know if it's that high or not, but it was high, yeah. Every home, their alcoholism was rampant back where I grew up, and uh, and that's how they dealt with it back then, just to hide, get drunk, beat each other up, whatever it took. And uh, so, you know, when you get the horrors that you hide inside, you know, they're A lot of men, a lot of people don't ever want to talk about it and have never, even to this point, have never been able to talk about it. The Brave have gone up and, you know, they wrote books about who they were and how they were abused but there's so much stories that have never been told because these people to this day don't want to open up. They don't want to talk about what they went through in residential school and and, uh, you know, there's so much pain and, and so much anger and frustration out there that that uh, people hold on to it for so long. And I was blessed because the only in one aspect was the lady that raised me never went to residence school. She still, she didn't know any English. So, you know bingo and sunyas or money but she didn't know much English so I had to learn our native language just so I could communicate with her and uh, I loved it I I know I can sit down with elders I can't talk to them very well in my language but I can understand what they're saying to me I can't speak to them because I try anyway but I put my creed together the way it sounds to me and my elders, just la- the elders just laugh at me and say well we know what you're trying to say but you're not saying it properly but we understand what you're trying to say but you know we there's other stories of um one man went to residential school and and um, he's the, he again he's another guy he wasn't able to share until the 2.15 and and that one, I'm just thinking. No, that cuts too close. I can't share that story. Um, but we grow up over time, and, and um, one of the keys in my life to help me to to function um, was to learn to love myself. To find out who I was and uh, I was blessed with the, with a beautiful woman who helped me to as we searched together on on uh, how to better ourselves you know we talked so much about the angers and the hurt and the thing that you can't do is what, it, what we. You can't help another person get to that point. They have to learn to get there. We can be there beside them, but we can't get them to that point where they need to, to learn to look inside to find out who they are individually. You know, when we we learn to. Um, Show love in different forms. You better ask me another
2: question. (laughs) So, well, one of the questions that I did want to ask you so, were you, did you have some resentment towards your indigenous culture growing up? Just no. So, you embraced it fully?
0: I always knew I was METI. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I I never had a... I was... Uh, well, I always knew who I was. You know, I was much loved by my grandma. And, uh, you know, at 17... My grandma took me to the the window and she gave me some advice. And I don't know how to say it exactly in my language, but if I tell the story I want to talk about how she said it and uh, she said Ki ki kigats kakyo niyokuta hmduigata kigats kakyo and well for mwikya kaki kyatoske for your family. Kak kyatoske. And my Mom never met my wife to be. But the advice she gave me that day was was, I want you to look up and down the street. A lot of our Indian people are on welfare. But not you. I want you to work hard for your family. I want you to work hard and provide for your family. And uh, I... Again... I'm not sharing who I am, but people will know by this. I got hurt when I was 19. I I can't lift my right arm off the table, even right now. I worked, I ran a saw. For 20 plus years, I cut trees, I fell, I bucked with an arm and a half. And I always looked at, I always thought about Grandma's words: I need to work hard for my family. I need to supply. I need to do what the best I can, and and uh, so I went to work. I I did the best I can. You know, I was I was on one when I first started working after I got hurt, and I started trying to get back in the workforce. I, I went to work on one construction site and. And uh, they nicknamed me Lightning. Not for how fast I could work because I had to learn to hammer with my left and I was missing the nail a lot. So they nicknamed me Lightning. Because <laughs> Lightning never strikes the same place <laughs> twice. <though. laughs> so that's what they nicknamed me on the job. But um it's... Uh, so... Mom always told me to take pride in who I was. My mom is my grandma. That's when I say mom. Okay. That's who I'm talking about. And, uh, Mom always told me to take pride in who I was. And, and, uh, um, and we were Métis. That's, I was never ashamed of who I was. And I always knew who I was. Even to this day when people try to change my name and tell me I'm. First Nations, all these different terms they get. And I tell people, when I grew up, I was an Indian. I'm still an Indian today. That's just me.
2: So growing up in the peace region, um, like obviously things were different when you were growing up versus when your kids were growing up. What did you worry about when your kids were, when you were raising your kids, what did you worry about like sending them to school and, you know racism and all that kind of stuff what, what did you lose sleep overnight <laughs> i guess is what i'm asking because i i definitely lose sleep thinking about my kids so i imagine probably the same for you
0: i am if- not no i uh I guess my bigot, like, again, like like you said, you're always constantly growing. And, and I didn't worry a lot about what the kids didn't, you know, because I, 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 I felt my wife and I did a good job in preparing them to go to school. <coughs> I know I, um, but when my daughter came home, grade four, grade five, and I, she showed me a report card, and she was quite upset. I didn't get any A's. I just I didn't get any A's. And she was so disheartened that she didn't get any A's. And I said, okay, I'll go to the next parent-teacher meeting. So I went to the next parent-teacher meeting. And uh, the very first thing this teacher says to me, I don't give out too many A's. I said, oh yeah. And I, I didn't ask him if it was race related or anything. I just said, I think you need to reevaluate the way you're grading your children there. I said, because you can discourage a child from trying hard when they feel like they've earned an A and you give them. B or a C and you can actually discourage children from doing their best. So this teacher said, Well, let's go through our schoolwork together. So we went through all her schoolwork ninety percent, ninety-three percent, ninety-five percent, eighty-seven percent, ninety-four, you know, it was Wow, good for her. A A A work, right? And after half hour going through all her schoolwork you know, he was fidgeting in his chair. I think he thought he was going to slap him or something. I, I wasn't. I wasn't angry. I just wanted him, I just trying to point something out to him. When we were done, he looked at me and said, I think I made a mistake here. I said, I'm not asking you to change your grade. I'm just asking you to revalue the way you grade these children. That's all I'm asking. Next report card. My daughter can only had four or five A's. And she said, do you know what, Dad? He gave all the other students A's that deserved it, too. Mm. So it wasn't just her she was doing it, too. He was doing it, too. It was the other kids. And speaking up for her helped the others also. You know, I don't know. I just felt I needed to speak up there. And-
2: yeah, you sound very supportive. And I think that kind of goes to the stories you've been telling as well just lending an ear and just willing to listen and talk with them and hear their stories about residential schools and um talking about it i guess will be the kind of first step to healing in a way and if you're willing to listen to them and they're willing to tell you i think it's a very good thing what you're doing
0: i think what we need to do as younger people is we need to visit the elders more we need to go and let them tell their stories because so many have stories that have never they've never been able to share because no one's been there willing to listen mm-hmm. and they want to talk about it but there nobody comes by you know i i used to visit this older indian woman i think she was with eighty-two, and she told me one day she said I'm really happy you come by. I said, why? She said, because I can talk about the stories that that I remember. While I still remember them. I'm able to tell these stories to you. You know, another elder asked me, he said, I'm really glad you come by. He said, because my own kids don't want to learn from me. But you come by and you want to learn from me. I'm really happy happy to teach. And I was taking creed lessons from him and he said, I'm really happy to teach because my own kids don't learn and built in and I tell this to so many people, built in every human being is the desire to pass on knowledge. We all have the desire to teach. Whether it was teaching our children to call to crawl, you know it's or teaching somebody how to run a computer properly, we all have the desire. It's innate in each of us to teach somebody something. But if we hold, if no, we're, if we're never asked questions, we're never going to teach. So we need to ask questions. We need to go to the old people and ask them questions because they want to pass on what they know. They might not want to talk about some things that happened in their life, but they want to pass on something. Did you express that to your kids? Did they yes. go and
1: visit elders?
0: And- I used to take my kids with me. <laughs> you know, they, and after a while, they said, "Dad, Dad, I don't want to go anymore." You know, because because we would go visit for two, three hours at a time. And after a while, you know, we'd be walking through the mall. Like, I remember one instance: we're walking through Edmonton Mall, and my kids—they were teenagers, young teenagers—and they see this old guy sitting on the steps sitting on the bench up ahead and they go, Dad, don't do it. Because they know it's coming. eh? Dad, don't. Let's just keep walking. And I looked at him and said, you kids will know where I'll be in a couple hours. You can come by. Dad, really? And I I sat down said hi to this elderly gentleman. I sat there with him for a couple hours. But I did that so many times that the kids were just used to it. eh? But because I was always I was always trying to teach them that it's right to talk to elders right to ask them questions, and everybody you know whether you talk to a farmer you know you learn stuff that you didn't know before you know you talk to a cowboy, you talk to a driller, they all have stories and, and they all want to talk about something you know and, and even if they've been to residential school, they don't always want to open up about it. But they'll tell you, "I went to residential school," and and they'll start talking a little bit about it. But then, it's not a place where I want to ask them questions about it. If they want to open up about it, I'll I'll listen. That's
1: all I can do. Because if they mention that, most likely the person they're speaking to instantly knows to kind of okay, yeah, yeah. Let yeah them if they speak, want to open up, with, yeah. let them
0: do it. And... Uh, so, you know, it's, well, I just taught my kids to listen. That's that's all we can do.
2: Where did you learn that from? From your mom?
0: From my grandma. Yeah. Grandma. Who's grandma. Used mom. To, mom, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, we sat in silence a lot because I didn't understand her a lot. I didn't know how to talk to her. I didn't know language enough to communicate with her. So, But I knew she loved me. So that was the important part, you know. I, um, my mom and my cookum and I, we went on a date together. And that, that's what I, to this, when I got older, I realized it was a date for me and her. We did couldn't communicate very well, but she could play bingo. And back then, I was 9 or 10, I was allowed to go to bingo halls back then. Wednesday night, that's where she'd take me. I'd go play bingo with my cookum. What does Kokum
2: mean? Is Grandma. Grandma, okay. And that's in Cree?
0: Yeah. Okay. And I'd play bingo with my Kokum. Just her, you know. Something she enjoyed doing with me was taking me to bingo. She didn't go to the movies, didn't go to the swimming pool. She took me to bingo. <laughs> <laughs> didn't take me picnicking. But, but that's that's what we did together. And I, I remember those... Those are fond memories of my mom,
2: and uh, you know. and So, why do you think it's so important to listen to the elders?
0: Because they want to they want to share, you know. They want to tell stories, and we're storytelling people. And if we don't listen to stories, how can we pass on knowledge? And our people are storytellers. And, um, you know, that's. I used to tell my kids, you need to go visit your auntie. Because auntie knew family history from, you know, 30, 40 years ago. I said, and I'll tell my nieces and nephews, you need to go visit her sit at her feet for two or three days and listen to her stories because she has so many stories about your history, your family history. You need to go listen to her. And if you if they took the time to go visit her, Andy just, would just tell stories because she did the genealogy search and where we're from and where we lived and where our ancestors lived. And and that's how we, we learned. What, like She didn't write nothing down, so she's gone now so that's gone unless you were there visiting her and listening to her stories but she had so much knowledge she was willing to share with anybody who'd come but people have to make that choice themselves whether they want to learn
2: so being raised by your grandma did you see your your birth mom very often or was it like
0: she lived four houses away
2: oh wow okay okay uh, and you knew she was your birth mom and like uh, your siblings were I there? always knew
0: they were there,
2: yeah. Okay. And when did you learn about th- that she was in a residential school? Like how did that change your perspective on... I don't think I learned that until I was in my 20s. Okay.
0: To, to help me... understand to because I needed to know why they gave me away I needed to know why I was the one that felt unloved yet my brothers and sisters felt the same way but they were raised by my parents I needed to understand so you start paying attention to what happened in your parents life you know you look back Uh, generations and you don't do that as a child you don't look back you know why your mom and dad are the way they are you know my dad never went to residential school but his dad died in World War II so he didn't know how to be a father you know and we my sister and I we talked about that the other day where one of the things that that uh, my dad was an excellent teacher when he was teaching others. He could teach once, twice, three, four times. But when he would teach his own children, it was just once. Now you know. Don't ask me again. He had no patience to teach his own children, but he could teach others with extreme patience. It's it, And... Uh, And I find myself um, always worrying about treating my children the same way. Like, I don't want to... Do you understand that? I don't want to just get mad at them and teach them and say, leave me alone. I just want my children to know that that when I go go home to the to meet my wife, I just want people to be able to say that there was a man that loved his family. Doesn't matter. Nothing else matters.
2: Well, I imagine they can feel the love because I I can feel it just like sitting here. Like you love them so much. So I'm sure they know. So I guess... We can go into our last question. Try not to cry, so I asked her to go to. I I know. I'm trying not to cry. I was sitting here
1: looking down, like trying. Um,
2: But yes, Jenny. Yeah, we can. We can just go into the last question, which is, what does reconciliation mean to you?
0: That's such a difficult question. And it means something different to, to everybody. and uh, But, Rick, I, I, I don't know what it means to, to everyone else, I you know. But I know, for me, reconciliation is learning to love myself so that I can teach others to learn to love themselves. And... And it's not... I don't just teach this to Indian people. But I meet a Norwegian, a guy from England, a guy in Africa, and I tell him the same thing. You need to learn to love yourself so you can learn to love your children. And... Um, so... We... Reconciliation is is when we we can look back. I don't know how to put it in words, and I don't want to offend anybody or anybody out there. But well, we can look back and say, "I raised my children right." I did the best I could. I read a book when I was 32 years old and it was called, Stop Using Your Past as an Excuse for the Way You Are Today. And like I talked about earlier, that I was at a paradox where I needed to go to my parents and ask them to forgive me for hating them so that I can reconcile and be right with them so that I could be right with my kids, be right with my wife. And that to me that's reconciliation is making things right in my own home. So that my kids have a better chance at life than I did, you know. They don't have to have all the struggles and the pain and the hurts that I had and their children have a better chance and so on you know we can we can carry this anger and pass it on to our children and it doesn't do them any good for them to be angry and and, and uh, we just need to forgive we'll never forget but we need to be able to forgive and just share um, love with each other. I, I don't know how to put it in the other way yet.
2: No, I think you said it very well. I really do. And,
0: uh, it's all good. Um, well, I made it to the end.
2: <laughs> well, thank you very much for sitting down with us i know it wasn't easy and and i really appreciate it we really appreciate it and um yeah thank you
0: mercy <laughs> Jonathan.
2: make sure you guys subscribe to before the peace using your favorite podcast app or at www.energeticcity.ca slash podcasts
1: if you have a guest or program idea, email before the piece at moosefm.ca.
2: If you or someone you know is struggling with mental health or trauma, you can call the Crisis Intervention Helpline 24-7, dialed 211 in British Columbia, or text HOME to 686868 in Canada to text with a trained crisis responder.
1: If you or someone you know is struggling with addiction, please call the Addiction's Treatment Helpline 1-800-663-1441.
2: If you want to learn more about residential schools, please visit reconciliationcanada.ca.
1: Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. Honestly, you know by now why we called it an emotional one.
2: Yes, and tune in next month because it's going to be a good one.